Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. Craig Larson writes the following. On my desk, I like to display on a book stand the kind of gift books you put on the coffee table, those filled with professional photos of nature or tourist destinations. One I really like is titled America's Spectacular National Parks. For several days, I had the book open to a photo of the Grand Teton Mountains, an extra wide photo that filled not only the left page, but crossed the fold and took half of the page on the right. It is a majestic display of a deep blue sky, rugged gray snow-capped mountains, and a calm lake in the foreground. One morning I decided to turn the page to the next photo, and as I did, I discovered that I had missed something important. The right page of the Grand Tetons photo was an extra long page folded over, covering part of the Grand Tetons. So when I opened it up, it not only revealed what was covered, but added another eight inches to the Grand Tetons photo. And then it opened again, another 8 inches. In other words, when I opened the fold, I added some 16 inches to the width of the photo. And the Grand Tetons became even grander. That's how it is with the revelation of the mystery revealed in Paul's writings. We get the full picture in God's Word. We see what was formerly hidden by God, but now fully revealed. And this revelation found in the letters of Paul opens up God's Word and is the key to understanding it, and is the key to understanding what God is doing today. When we rightly divide the Word and understand Paul's gospel, the Bible becomes even grander to us because you, you see the master plan, God's whole plan, His plans and purpose and will for the earth, His plan and purpose and will for the heavenlies. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 to 8 say, Whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of His power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul says, Whereof, or of which, I was made a minister. And the whereof, or of which he's speaking of, is the gospel. In verse 6, Paul says, To the gospel of the grace of God, I was made or appointed a minister by God. He was enlisted by God in the service of this gospel. God saved Paul by his grace, made him the apostle of the Gentiles, gave him a dispensation revealed the revelation of the mystery to him, appointed him a minister of the gospel of grace, and commissioned him to make the mystery and the ministry of reconciliation known to the world. Paul had a lot of responsibility, but God enabled him as God enables us to carry out the work of the ministry. Paul counted it a gift of God's grace to have been called to and appointed to the gospel ministry. And Paul served and carried out his ministry by the effectual working of his power, serving in Christ's limitless strength and eternal power. And Paul understood that anything he might accomplish in his ministry was not due to his ability, but to the grace of God 
and the power of God working in and through him. God wants obedience to him, and God wants dependence on him, and he will work through us as we do these things for his glory. The effectual working of his power speaks to the power already mentioned in the book of Ephesians in chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, when Paul says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. It's the power of the resurrection that worked in and through Paul to carry out his ministry for the Lord, and it's the exact same power that works in and through us, too, as we serve the Lord. And Paul was humbled. He felt unworthy to have been called into the ministry and to be used by God. In verse 8, he says, unto me. And that unto me is like a sense of amazement with it. And then when he says, uh, who am less than the least of all saints, you have to be pretty humble to say that you're less than the least. If something is the least... It's the least, but Paul says he was less than the least of all saints. In 1 Corinthians 15.9, Paul also stated something similar when he said he is the least of the apostles, then I'm not meet to be called an apostle. The grace of God in using him in his service humbled Paul, and it really it should humble all of us as well that we get that privilege to serve the true and the living God. Paul said that he who is less than the least of all saints was given the grace and privilege of preaching among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul's ministry was to the Gentiles, the nations, and he preached and proclaimed the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. Now that word unsearchable means untraceable. This isn't speaking of the riches of Christ being measureless, although they are. Rather, this is speaking of the formerly hidden riches of Christ, now made known within the revelation of the mystery. And these riches of Christ and doctrines of grace were and are untraceable in the prophetic scriptures. Pastor Charles Baker once said, The mystery left no footprints in the Old Testament, so it cannot be traced out. The mystery is only revealed and made known through Paul. And in it, the riches that we have in Christ as members of Christ's body are revealed to us. Paul was graced with the privilege of making the Gentiles, the nations, know about the riches that they have in Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. And Paul was graced with the privilege and burdened also to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9 says, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Paul says this mystery was hid in God, not hidden in Scripture. It is untraceable, as the previous verse said. It is not found in the types and shadows of the Old Testament. No one knew of this mystery, this sacred secret, until God himself revealed it directly to Paul. Paul had a great passion to make all men see, or to enlighten all people, to shed a flood of light on the mystery, so that nobody was in the dark to it. This message reveals Christ in all his glory. It reveals the glory of his cross. It reveals the glory of our bright hope in Christ. And Paul didn't want anyone to not know about it. 
And so our commission involves this as members of Christ's body as well. We, like the Apostle Paul, are to have a burden to make the fellowship of the mystery clear and plain to all people that they might see, understand, and rejoice in it. And as we do, it unlocks the understanding and right application of the Word of God. Paul wanted all to see it. This is what we are called to do in our own personal service for the Lord. This is our ministry in Christ too. Along with making known the gospel of the grace of God, this is part of our commission for the church today to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Joseph Sittler says, There is certainly nothing wrong with the church looking ahead, but it is terribly important that it should be done in connection with the look inside into the church's own nature and mission, and a look behind at its own history. If the church does this, it is less likely to take its cues from the business community, the corporation, or the marketplace. We should be mindful of the church's nature and mission, and Ephesians chapter 3 reminds us of what that is. The nature and mission is to reach people with the gospel of grace and to strive to make all men see the mystery and to do it all in the strength of the Holy Spirit. Paul says the fellowship of the mystery from the beginning of the world was hid in God, in our God who was there at the beginning of the world. In our, he is all-powerful and has created all things by Jesus Christ. Paul adds force to his argument that the mystery was never before made known because as it was hid in God, it was hid in the one who is all-powerful, so there was no way that, that that secret could have been made known until God's perfect time and will. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 to 13 say, To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. The mystery was hid in the mind of God so that no man knew of it until it was revealed to Paul. No man knew of it, and not even the angels knew of it, neither the fallen angels or the unfallen and the holy angels. 1 Corinthians 2, 7-8 says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul says that now to the angelic principalities and the angelic powers, the manifold or many-sided, diverse, broad, multifaceted wisdom of God is made known. All the angels knew about the kingdom of God on the earth and God's plans and purposes for the nation of Israel, but they knew absolutely nothing about the mystery in the church, the body of Christ. And so God is teaching the angels through us, the church, as they are learning about God's grace and the once hidden but now revealed wisdom of the mystery through us. 1 Corinthians 4.9 says, We are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. The angels have had a long time now, nearly 2,000 years, to learn about all the details of this revelation of the mystery 
And they're probably still learning it because of the deep wisdom of God's Word. But it seems clear, though, that the area the angels are still learning the most about the splendor of God's grace and wisdom is by our conduct. They learn about God's grace and wisdom, and they see His glory and how we allow His grace and His truth to change us, how it transforms our lives and affects us, and how much we allow Him to have of us and allow His grace to touch our hearts and to drive us to live and serve the Lord by faith. Paul says, The manifold wisdom of God revealed to the angels by the church, the mystery, was according to God's eternal purpose, which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in Christ, verse 12 says that we have boldness and access. We, we can boldly approach God with confidence, knowing with full assurance of our acceptance because of the faithfulness of our Savior. Boldness and access to God with confidence was not the case in the Old Testament times. So again, this is something the angels are learning about because they never saw this in time past. Because in time past, under the law, only the high priest, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, could approach God's presence in the Holy of Holies. Even then, he had to first make a sacrifice for his own sins in his house before entering the presence of God. And he had to wear bells on his garment so he could be heard inside the Holy of Holies. And so the priest would know if he was still alive or not. And he always had to come with blood as he entered that presence as well. It was not boldness. It was not confidence. It was nervousness. It was fear that must have been almost overwhelming when it came time for that high priest to duck behind that curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. Because any missteps, and he would be immediately struck dead. It's nothing like that for us who are accepted in the beloved with our sins forgiven. We have free access. God welcomes us at all times and actually desires us to come boldly to him with any and all need or just to spend time in his presence. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. The Triumph of His Grace is a hardcover 215-page book written by Pastor Paul M. Sadler. This volume is a comprehensive study on the doctrine of the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. Mid-tribulationalism, pre-wrath, post-tribulationalism, and the partial rapture theories are thoroughly examined under the microscope of the Word, rightly divided. The Triumph of His Grace also contains charts, outlines, timelines, and numerous comparisons to help the reader understand that the body of Christ will be delivered from the wrath to come. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750. 
4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. Verse 14 reads, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had recorded a prayer that he had for the Ephesians in chapter 1. That prayer dealt with light. This prayer deals with love. That prayer in chapter 1 was about enlightenment. This second of two prayers in Ephesians is about empowerment and enablement. The first prayer is for believers to know their power. The second prayer is for believers to use the power. Paul's prayer involves all three members of the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. His prayer is focused on the inner person of the believer. And in the prayer, he's fully engaged in it. He's not just praying with his mind, but with his heart, and with fervency and zeal and a sense of urgency. Paul did not pray rehearsed prayers. He prayed intelligently, with care, watching and looking and praying for the spiritual and physical needs of the saints. In saying for this cause or for this reason, Paul is pointing back to what he said in the book about our, all our spiritual blessings, about our salvation by grace through faith, the ministry of the gospel and the mystery, our access to God and His tribulations for the Gentiles. Paul prays his prayer in light of our wealth and the knowledge of who we are in Christ, that we, the body of Christ, might live in light of these things. The fervency of his prayer for the Ephesians is seen how he speaks of his posture of his prayer I bow my knees. Now, the Bible does not command any special posture for prayer, but the Bible does speak of various prayer postures. Paul speaks here of bowing his knee in prayer to God. Ezra, in Ezra 9, 5, says that he fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God and prayed. In Daniel 6, 10, it says that Daniel kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. But in 1 Kings 8.22, when Solomon offered his prayer to God to dedicate the temple, it says, and Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands toward heaven. In 1 Chronicles 17.16, as David prayed about the building of the temple, it says he came and sat before the Lord. When our Savior prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, 39 says, And he fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Standing, sitting, bowing, laying with your face to the ground are all postures for prayer spoken of in God's word. But the physical position and posture is not the important part. The submission and bowing of our hearts and wills to God is what's most important. In Matthew 6, verses 5 and 6, our Lord stated, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into the closet and when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. God does not want us to be religious. He just wants us to be real with Him. 
He wants us to just pray with sincerity and to trust Him, knowing that He is able. The position of prayer is not important at all. The position of your heart is what God looks at. And so Paul's posture for his prayer is not done because it's especially sacred, but instead it just simply shows us the earnestness of his prayer, the submission of his heart to his God, and his reverence and recognition of God's divine authority and glory. Paul says in verse 12, we have boldness and access with confidence. In chapter 2, verse 18, he says, "For Through Christ we have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Because of this, Paul's prayer is addressed directly and confidently to the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son. We have a bold approach to God who waits and desires with a Father's heart of love for us to turn to Him. And the word unto, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word unto in verse 14 means facing. And so when he says, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father. So he bows his knees facing the Father. His prayer was made facing God, not in fear, but within a relationship that he enjoyed with the Father. He knew he could speak directly with God and that God was listening always as he prayed. Verse 15 says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Paul says that after the Father, the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Through trusting Christ as our Savior, we are regenerated or born again through the Spirit, and we are born into the family of God. Having been saved by grace through faith, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 19, that we are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens and of the household of God. We are in the family of God, and God is the Father of those who believe. What this verse is teaching us is that after the Father, the whole family of God in heaven and in earth is named. From God, the body of Christ derives its origin, its name, its position as sons of God. We belong wholly to Him, and we are God's. We are His peculiar people. And our relationship with Him is so close-knit that we can come to Him as a child to a father at all times. And Paul's telling you here by this verse that some of the family of God is already home in heaven, and the rest are here on the earth representing Christ to this world as God's ambassadors. And we are all His, and we are called by His name. Verse 16 reads that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Paul offers four requests to God on behalf of the Ephesian. One builds upon another. The first request is for the believer to be strengthened and live in the power of God. To be strengthened with might has been translated to be made strong with power. Paul desired that according to God's infinite wealth and resources as God Almighty, the Ephesian believers might be made mightily strong with spiritual divine power. Paul had said earlier that we are the habitation of God through the Spirit in chapter 2, verse 22. The all-powerful God of the universe resides within each of us who believe, and Paul desired that we turn to God and use His power for living a life for him.
This story is told of a little boy playing in a sandbox. As he was digging, he discovered a huge rock in the middle of the sand. He dug till he loosened the stone. Once loosened, he pushed and he shoved and even braced himself against the edge of the sandbox and pushed it with his feet. And the stone would lift, but no matter how hard he tried, it would just roll right back down into the sand. His His dad was observing all this from a window and noticed that the little boy was becoming frustrated and so frustrated that he began to cry. When his father came to the sandbox, he asked the little boy, why didn't you use all of your power to remove the stone? And the boy said, I did. I pushed with my hands and my feet as hard as I could. And his father answered, no, son, you didn't call for me. And with that, the father bent over, picked up the rock, and threw it out of the sandbox. So many times we try to serve or live for the Lord in our own strength and we try and we try and we struggle and we stumble and fail and we're inconsistent. The Lord said in John 15, 5, without me you can do nothing. The secret to the Christian life is to first realize and acknowledge our own weakness and inability to live for the Lord in our own strength and then to live and serve by faith in God through the power of God in obedience to the Word of God. N.T. Wright rightly said, We live in a world full of people struggling to be, or at least appear to be, strong in order not to be weak. We follow the truth of God's Word, which says that when I am weak, then am I strong. We are made strong through the power of God within. God is concerned about the inner man, as we see in verse 16, that we are to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. Man works from the outside in. God works from the inside out. And this affects real change and transformation. At salvation, God imparts a new nature, and that is His base of operations from which He works in, on, and through us. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. The way the inner man is renewed and strengthened with might by his spirit is through the regular intake of his word, through learning the Bible, surrendering to it, obeying it, growing in it, being controlled by it, living it out. And that we have strength and power. The inner man needs to be fed God's word. It needs a strong prayer life. It needs the fellowship and encouragement of other believers in the church. It needs worship of its maker. And as we do these things, we will be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. And as we are strengthened by His Spirit, we have enablement for living a life which glorifies our Savior. So this prayer by Paul is actually a call to nearness to God, to growing in His Word and prayer, so that we might be enabled and strengthened to live for Him. And when we do this, we will be transformed by God's grace. Free Bible Society has an app that you can download for free through most any app store. On the app, you can read our monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, as well as keep up to date with our conference schedule, listen to MP3 sermons on different subjects, and read our daily two minutes with the Bible. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. 
The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.